Radio Drone. As you just heard, this is Radio Drone. I am Josh Hadley, and with me is not Brad Jones because he is bogged down in the middle of shooting the Cinemi Snob the movie. So hopefully Brad will be back next week, and hopefully Brian will join us. But until then, go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME to get 50% off of a single item. To get three, not one, not two, but three free DVDs. To get a free mystery gift and free shipping in the United States just for using DROME. And I know when Brad's here, we usually have a funnier promo, but too bad. Now, because Brad's missing, I had to just scour the dregs of the Internet to find tonight's guests. And you heard them snicker a little bit back there. We have, we might as well just go alphabetically. First, we have Alex Jowski from Geek Juice Media. Hello. And then we have from the Mental Cast, Dane Forgione and Michael Riley. Bonjour. I was last there no matter what. <laughs> I went alphabetically, so that's not my problem. That, that, that's your parents' problem for having a last name that starts with R. With Brad gone, as you guys heard me say, I had to drudge the depths of the internet to, to find some people to be on tonight, so you guys will have to do. I couldn't even find the depths I wanted. We were hanging out with the chuds. <laughs> and that's when the chuds came at me. <laughs> well, of, of course chud. New York is going to look bad if all you remember are the muggers and the chuds. We have a topic tonight. We're going to get to it, but I want Dane to tell a story first. You told me something that should be on my other show, WTF. Tell me the story you told me last night. I was at Barnes & Noble, and I was making my way back to my car in the parking lot. And two cars pull up side by side, and, of course, they block me in. So I'm like, oh, terrific. So going to have to wait for these idiots to leave. One guy in one car has a wad of money in his hand. The other guy had a small brown paper bag. They lean out of their cars. They do a handshake. Items were exchanged. I saw a drug deal go down in a Barnes & Noble parking lot. Do not understand this. Yeah, I was going to say, Starbucks, you were Starbucks so floored by this. Barnes & Noble? Dan, I don't understand why this floored you so much. I mean, people are in the... We just don't care anymore mode in America right now. Don't you get that? And you're in New York, aren't you? Isn't, yeah, that, isn't, like, isn't that like the capital of we don't give a sh Well, you would think that like these, these guys would have a brain like, oh, gee, there's dozens of people milling around the parking lot who are in clear view of us, but let's do the drug deal anyway. I'm surprised they didn't do it in the Walmart parking lot. It's a much more suitable place for a drug deal. And if you've ever seen the movie The High Cost of Low Price, you'll know Walmart's cameras rarely ever work. Right? I've seen that documentary. They, it's not only that they don't work, it's just they're only there to catch people talking about unions. Drug deals they can deal with. They don't care about those. Rapes, about murders, how? that's fine. How dare you try and form a union, though, you sons of bitches. <laughs> priorities, people, priorities. But so what did you do about uh, Mr. and Mr. Drug Dealer? Uh, I just waited for them to leave, and then I hightailed it out of there. Aren't you the upstanding citizen? Snitches yep. get stitches. Snitches wind up in ditches, according to the Southland that was on the other day. If Brad was on tonight, it was going to be a different topic, which I'll save for next week. Tonight's topic is actually going to be something a listener brought up. Movies that started off as one thing and then somehow either evolved or devolved into a totally different thing. 
The example he wanted to hear us talk about was The Mask, the Jim Carrey movie. Have any of you guys ever read the comic book, The Mask? I have not read the comic. Yes, I have read the comic, and it is one messed up comic. Never read the comic. Okay, first off, the comic is not spelled M-A-S-K. It's M-A-S-Q-U-E. So that's a big change right there. And the comic is dark. Yes, there are funny moments in it, but it is a dark thing where people get murdered in excruciatingly gory, gory methods. It's not this weird slapdash sitcom that the Jim Carrey movie made it out to be. Well, I believe it's also in the in the same vein, like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics were originally very much, much darker and gorier. That is true. But for, like, The Mask, from what I know about it, it started off as an adaptation of the comic. And then once Jim Carrey got involved, he didn't want to be a brutal, psychopathic murderer. And so he turned it into the weird slapstick cartoon the movie became. So that movie, from script to screen, became a totally different film. It became a terrible film. I I actually hate that movie. I hate everything about that movie. Honestly, it's better than its sequel. Well, yeah. Yeah, uh, don't like Jamie Kennedy, not one bit. The sequel was a bad idea just through and through. This is why Jim Carrey doesn't do sequels, because they always suck. Well, okay, that's a different debate. Sequels do not (laughs) always suck. But then, like, another one that I I could think of that where the movie just was radically different than the way it was conceived was, of all things, Beverly Hills Cop. Beverly Hills Cop started off back when it was going to star Sylvester Stallone as essentially Cobra. When Stallone left the project, he took a lot of the original Beverly Hills Cop script and put it into the movie Cobra. So could you imagine Beverly Hills Cop with what we ended up seeing in Cobra? Would it have been the same cast? No, because originally it was going to be Stallone, and he was avenging his deceased brother instead of a best friend in Detroit. And it was supposed to be not funny at all. It was supposed to be a straight-out action action flick. Because Eddie Murphy in a straight-out Cobra action flick would have been unique. No, because haven't you seen Metro? Eh. That was terrible. Metro was all, awful. all six people who saw that movie were not impressed. <laughs> And three of them were on the cast. <laughs> uh, Metro was terrible, and that was his attempt to do, I want to do a serious film, uh, I want to play a serious character, and I want to deal with serious consequences. And the movie really, really sucked. It really that sucked That wasn't Daddy Day Camp? Did he do Daddy Day Camp, too? Was he in the second one? No, he wasn't. Okay, because I've seen, get, yeah, I've seen Daddy movie. Day Care with my niece. I didn't know, I mean, I knew there was a second one, but I've never seen it. I didn't know if he was in that or not. Can you think of a, a movie that you that you know of that radically changed from concept to execution? Well, in terms of not necessarily that like it changed the concept of the movie changed snakes on a plane, the uh, internet campaign to add more snakes to the plane. Okay, I agree with you on that, but that was a dumb one for fans. I mean that that was a stupid thing for the studio to do. We want to put in the movie what the fans want. I have issues with that. The I Am Legend that came out that had Will Smith in it, that had been in development for years, was supposed to have Arnold in it at one point, and was supposed to just be hardcore action. But then they got Will Smith, and they added the sentimentalism to it. But the when it was attached to Schwarzenegger, it was supposed to be more in tune with the novel. 
In a, have you read the novel, Alex? Bits of it, not the whole thing. I'll get started, get halfway through, and get distracted. Well, first of all, it's a great novel, and we've talked about this on Radio Drone before, so I won't spend a lot of time on it. But it really comes down, the movie captured the tone and the overall idea of the of the novel correctly, unless you count that horrid alternate ending that everyone seems to love more. That missed the point of the novel completely. This one, the Will Smith version, actually got a good chunk of it right. The Will Smith version is probably better than the original concept with Arnie. Probably, but then they also wanted Arnold Schwarzenegger to star in the Planet of the Apes remake when Oliver Stone was trying to make that in the 90s. That still would have been better than what we ended up with. Invariably, but that was a really... I mean, I just... I can't see Arnold Schwarzenegger as as the astronaut human trapped on a planet of... Get your hands off me, you damn dirty apes! Hercules back in New York. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, what other films do you know of that just radically changed when you go, okay, this film started off as this and became this? One I can think of is The Frighteners. The Frighteners started off, again, as a serious movie, whereas, you know, the the final version ends up pretty pretty funny and pretty relatively lighthearted. But that started off as a much more serious, they wanted to make a hardcore, hard-R ghost movie. And that's not the movie we got. I still liked it, but that's not the movie we got. I agree with you. I, th- I like The Frighteners, but it definitely wasn't the hardcore uh, kind of movie they were looking for. You mentioned The Frighteners, how it became more comedic than originally intended. Peter Jackson, dead alive, brain dead, had that same kind of feel to it. But he was supposed to make that movie brain dead earlier, didn't have enough money, so he said F this and made Meet the Feebles instead. So technically, Meet the Feebles was supposed to be dead alive. Technically, but he was also offered the chance to make Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, and he passed on that too. So who knows, maybe, let's see, what what would he have made in 1990? What movie would he have been doing in 1990? Because then, by, by your logic, we could have said, well, then that was Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. Because, I mean, if we talk about filmmakers that were offered one project and went to another, that that's a totally different debate. Uh, yeah, think. that is a different debate. He, he did Meet the Feebles in 89, and he didn't do anything else until 92 with Brain Dead. So I guess you could say Brain Dead, Dead Alive was his Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. He he also had, he also had a really good idea for Nightmare on Elm Street five, but for whatever reason he didn't make that either. The studio didn't like his Nightmare on Elm Street five idea, which was a really damn good original idea for the franchise as well. Uh, Peter Jackson's idea was basically Freddy is a joke. He ha- he has because he's you know he saw the comedic. D- direction that that franchise was taking that freddy was a joke and in the dream world all the elm street kids go into their dreams and they beat up freddy because he has no power if nobody fears him so he has become a joke he's you know made jokes are made about him in school and whatnot until through a sheer accident he accidentally kills one of the kids and then the fear grows again and then he starts to regain his power over the elm street children and i thought that's a damn good idea for an Elm Street movie. Would have been better than the original Part 5. Yeah. Sounds like the end of Monsters, Inc. Let's see, Part 5 would have been, what, 88, 89 for Nightmare on Elm Street? Something like that? Somewhere around there. I think, 
Yeah, I think Freddy's Dead was 90. Okay, so yeah, this would have been a, probably about 89 because they were hammering those things out almost once a year, I believe. Peter Jackson was, was offered that. He pitched that, and they said they didn't like that idea. It's the same thing with Halloween 4. The original idea for Halloween 4 was basically a ghost story that Michael Myers didn't come back. Michael Myers, every Halloween, the anxiety... Yeah, that, that's what they went with with Halloween 3. Well, no. The original Halloween 4 was going to be Michael Myers is in it, but he's not in it. That his the legend of Michael Myers raises the anxiety level every Halloween in Haddonfield to the point where it actually resurrects Myers himself as a ghost. And it was very much a ghost movie where he had no corporeal body and he was killing people like that. But but they said that sounded too much like Nightmare on Elm Street, so nah, nah just bring him back for real. Because the studios just don't seem to want anything original at all. Well, because I remember with Halloween 3, they set out to, like, just let's make different Halloween-themed movies, not about Michael Myers. Right, and that was a good idea, and if Halloween 3 had done any kind of business whatsoever, that may have happened. But that movie flopped hard. So just, eh, go back to Michael Myers. I think it's a good movie, yes. I think Halloween 3, Brad and I have talked about it numerous times. It's a highly underrated movie. Doesn't mean it still wasn't a massive disaster. In some films, you can kind of see it. Like that 1979 movie, The Visitor, I'm always bringing up. That film starts off as as an Omen ripoff, then becomes an Exorcist ripoff, then becomes a Close Encounter of the Third Kind ripoff, and then becomes an Alfred Hitchcock ripoff. You can almost see, as they were making the movie, they kept changing the movie, if that makes any sense. Like the way Idaho Transfer started off as an intriguing time turned into some sort of weird environmentalist message. Yeah, the movie Idaho Transfer, Alex and I got a project brewing that's going to be dealing with Idaho Transfer. Yeah, that's a really bizarre movie that I have a feeling. I mean, did you get the feeling when you were watching that 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 didn't have a script, it just had an outline? Yeah. And they were ad-libbing a good chunk of that dialogue and where the story was going to go? Ad-libbing it quite quite poorly, too. And Peter, <laughs> Peter, Peter Fonda just let him go. He just said, whatever, I'm the director, just go and stay in frame. One in terms of actors leaving the movie early and so they had to improvise a different story altogether which was the, the betty davis movie wicked stepmother wicked stepmother i don't i'm not oh. sure if i'm familiar with that one it was it's a larry cohen film from 1989 and betty davis was fired midway through the filming so her character completely disappears and the movie changes its direction almost mid-movie well, I guess if you want to include that, then how about Poltergeist 3, where Heather O'Rourke dies, and then they have to they have to cover her with body doubles. That's why you get all those shots of the, the little girl with all the old age makeup, because they had to cover that it's not Heather O'Rourke. And then you have all the clear body double shots where somebody's carrying her, but you can't see her face because of the smoke and all that crap. That they said, I don't know what the original ending of Poltergeist 3 was going to be, but they had to radically change it because they had to radically move the Carol Ann character around because of Heather O'Rourke's death. Yeah, same thing with that um, Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus when Heath Ledger died partway through filming, so they rewrote the script to where Johnny Depp was also playing the role, to where they changed it to where the character was now a shapeshifter. Had that that even been hinted at prior to this? I think they they reshot some of the earlier stuff to make it hinted, but it was not in the original script. The only thing I can think of is uh, Superman 2, 
uh, started off really more serious, and then they started adding in slapstick stuff, uh, comedy stuff, during the fight scenes. Oh, after um, so, if you want to get picky, then isn't Superman three technically deleted scenes from Superman two? Pretty much. I still like Richard Pryor in that. I still still thought he was funny in Superman three, but yeah, that was an ill conceived film straight from the get go. Yeah. Well, if you want to stick with that theme, Superman four. Look look at how massively different the work print is from what actually wound up on screen. And I'm not just talking about, oh, you know, they edited out some scenes so it's shorter or flows different. I'm talking they edited out scenes that make the movie and even the tone a radically different film than the film Christopher Reeve actually shot. So if you want to go that route, Superman 4 would be the same way as well. Well, and then you have you have others that seem to change tone, not from what was shot or what was conceived, but from what was edited. When when you see the director rap on a film, especially a film from the from the 50s or the 60s when directors really had no control over the final edit of their movie, that was kind of the origin of the Alan Smithy credit. When the director turned in one film, and then the studio edited it, edited it to be a totally different film, totally different in tone. It flowed differently. They rearranged the order of scenes to the point where he said, that is not the goddamn movie I turned in. I don't want my name on this train wreck you guys are going to release to theaters. So there are films right, like that that basically wind up as what we would think of the Alan Smithy movies. And in a way, that's what the Alan Smithy credit is there for, a movie that changes radically during production, or or post production in in most cases for the Alan Smithy credit. Um, regarding the like back to the Alan Smithy credit, there um, like David Lynch's the theatrical print of Dune is David Lynch, but then the TV cut was just so terrible he put the Alan Smithy name on it. Because that TV cut is terrible, Alex. It really is. I haven't seen the TV cut. <laughs> it it at to, to cover up all the fa- the stuff that because you got to remember when he made that movie, all the deleted scenes that they put back in, they did not have the bridging scenes to those. So they had a whole bunch of animated stills, and I know animated stills is an oxymoron, but animated stills covered by narration that cover the gaps of the scenes that were never shot. So it is incredibly awkward to try and watch the Sci-Fi Channel cut of Dune. And I mean the the David Lynch Dune. Speaking of animated, here's a Example of a movie that was drastically different, The Thief and the Cobbler. I saw that on the Nostalgia Critic one, yeah, to the point where it was yeah. unrecognizable when it was released or something like that. Technically, not so much they altered everything, but like the movie I did and it came from me on Midnight Shark, the Burt Reynolds movie. Like I said, this one's only technical, but he never thought in a million years they'd actually use the footage of the cameraman being eaten by a real shark in the goddamn movie. And then when it saw that, he kind of was just, I want to distance myself as much as I can from this. So that's not so much radically changing it, but it's more of, we shot this stuff, and I can't believe they actually used it. Movies that changed during production, one I can think of is, and it changed a lot over years, was Batman Begins. Because originally after Batman and Robin, Schumacher had that Batman triumphant he was going to make, which was just going to be horrible. And because Batman and Robin flopped so bad, they canceled it. But then he comes back with, well, let's do Batman Year One from the the Frank Miller comic. And they kicked that around, and then they had Aronofsky to direct. And then that eventually turned into Batman Begins with Nolan attached. Let's talk about Alien 3. 
how many different scripts did they go through before settling on the one that they went with? And then even that, they changed radically during production to the point where David Fincher said the movie he signed on to do is not the movie he ended up using the shooting script for. Because it was so radically rewritten during production that he made a different film than he signed on to make. And that's not even counting all the aborted ideas, like for the scripts when they didn't have Sigourney Weaver and it starred Hicks and Newt, or 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 the or David Toohey's script that is basically pitch black. That's got well, pr- it's got prisoners, escaped prisoners trapped on a dark planet full of the aliens. I mean, really, in a weird way, pitch black is an alien movie. It's it's David Toohey's Alien Three. He just changed enough to not be sued, more or less. After well, all, that one- Aliens Three still was terrible. Alien Three would have been Alien Three would have been terrible no matter what, because the studio had so much stupidity on their side. Clive Barker was even approached to to write and direct Alien Three at one point, and what they told him was, "You can do anything you want, but we want it to take place on a on a on a planet full of monks. It's got to have a monastery. Ripley has to die in the end." And they gave him like a list of fifteen things they wanted in the film, but he could do whatever he wanted, and he said. Well, basically, you, I can't do whatever I want if I have to include all the dumb you guys want me to do. So Clive Barker walked away. Imagine what kind of a alien movie we could have got if they would have just given Clive Barker carte blanche. That would have been amazing. Pinhead would have showed up. Oh, you mean like in Hellraiser 4, which Clive had nothing to do with, so I can't blame Clive for that. You know, Alien 3 radically changed for me, even concept. Look at, Look at just from the time it took them to make the the teaser trailer for Alien 3. Remember the original trailer, which they still include on the DVD, that said, this time it's on Earth? Yeah. Um, There's nothing about that in the movie. So originally, they entered production with a script that had the aliens taking place on Earth. And then somehow that wound up on Fiora 161. Well, any Alien 3 where Newt didn't come back was going to suck, so. (laughs) Which, and I've talked about this before, they, their, their reasoning for killing Newt in every single script except for William Gibson's, basically, was so ridiculously stupid. They said, well, Carrie Henn got too old. Uh, guys, have you never watched an episode of Star Trek? One line of technobabble. Her cryotube malfunctioned, and she aged slightly while in the cryotube. Boom. Question of Carrie Henn's age solved right there. One line of dialogue is all it would have taken to explain why she was noticeably older. You should have written the script then. Hell, my idea would have been, for Alien Resurrection, would have been, have Alien 3 be a dream. Because think about it, as as much as a cop-out as that is, usually when you see, oh, you know, that whole season was a dream, like I'm Married with Children and Dallas and whatnot, it's a cop-out. In this case, it wouldn't have been. It would have been a savior. It would have explained why Alien 3 was full of plot holes. Why it made no sense, because how often does a dream make sense? How often does, does a dream flow logically, right? If all, yeah, they had right. To, all they would have had to do is say, Ripley had this dream in hypersleep. Boom, Alien 3 is knocked out of continuity, and you saved face with the fans because you didn't kill Ripley. And you didn't have to go with the idiotic direction they went with for Alien Resurrection. Would have worked a lot better, a lot better. So then why aren't we running these goddamn studios? We have better ideas than they do. We, we make wouldn't millions. have seen Dan Hedaya's hairy shoulders. Oh. But did you guys ever see that deleted scene of David Fincher on the set 
of Alien 3. It was it was originally supposed to be in the documentary that was on the Quadrilogy DVD set, but they obviously 20th Century Fox wouldn't leave this in. It's got him sitting there in his director's chair, and he pulls the boom mic down, and he goes, I don't understand how 20th Century Fox is one of the biggest movie studios in the world when it's run by absolute morons. So clearly, I agree with him. But clearly he had had a bad day up to that point dealing with studio executives. But he said that right into camera, into Mike, screaming that they're f- idiots for the way they're making him shoot the movie, which is why... Yes, I do blame him in, on a partial level for Alien 3 because he did make some of the idiotic calls, like the whole POV of the aliens, despite the fact that they have no eyes. That's kind of a stupid idea right there. So I do blame him for some of it, but a lot of that was out of his hands. He had he just basically was telling the people where to put the camera. This 20th Century Fox was calling the shots on that train wreck. Yeah, I was going to say, I totally agree with his stance with Fox on that one. The best movie... At least in my opinion, that he ever did wasn't even Fox. It was New Line uh, Seven. So I gotta go Fight Club for best. I gotta go Fight Club for best movie, but Seven was yep. is damn damn good as well. Seven's I a like damn damn good well. movie. But but what it comes yep. down to is they they kept changing what Alien Three was supposed to be. Same thing with Alien Resurrection. I must have read at least a dozen different plot synopses for scripts for Alien Resurrection that were submitted to them that they just said, no, no. I mean, and some of these were much more plausible with getting Ripley back than the half-alien clone crap they went with. I know Joss Whedon has this huge, huge fan base, but will you Joss Whedon fans realize this guy is not this wonderkind that you think he is? I hate Josh Whedon and his fans. They they will never accept that he's not this great. Because th- this is the thing I love about Joss Whedon. Whenever something is a success, it's because he was such a genius. If it's a failure, oh, they screwed it up. I couldn't possibly have written a bad script. They screwed my script up. I'm going to tell this to the fans who are Joss Whedon fans. Go find the Alien Resurrection script. They shot that damn script. He will not take credit for how bad that movie is, yet that movie is his script. He needs to take responsibility. You wrote a dumb-ass script, Whedon. Which is another reason I think that Avengers is going to be a disaster. Joss Whedon thinks he is as good as his fans think he is. And that's a dangerous thing to put when you're putting almost $400 million in a guy's pocket. You know, that's a dangerous combination of dynamite right there. Don't you guys agree? Yeah. Oh, yes. They're, they're putting more than just that money into his pocket. They're putting their entire Marvel franchise onto that movie. If that movie flops, you're going to get no Thor 2, no Iron Man 3. And so they're putting a lot more than just the production of that movie on him. But but, but here's, here's the problem. I, I can't remember if it was Entertainment Weekly or there was a, a movie magazine, a print magazine I read, when the when the first full-length Avengers trailer came out a couple of months ago, they outright said, based on this trailer alone, this is the best film of 2012. That this film cannot possibly disappoint. It will live up to everything this trailer promises because there's no better film than what this, even just the trailer, is showing us. This movie could be the biggest piece of crap ever, but... It's the Avengers. You know it's going to make money no matter how bad it is. Right, which is which is the only thing I disagree with you, Alex, about is I got to go with Dane on this. 
they've they've already made back their money. Enough people are going to buy the tickets and buy the merchandise that there's even if everybody hates this film, it will not be a flop. I think it, th- this film this film is like printing money almost. It may end up being entertaining at least. I just hope yeah, they don't and, feel that gives them license to do stupid stuff because it really doesn't. You know, they're not going to be happy if they forked over their money and they see a crappy movie. But but th- but think about it like this: with with a magazine saying like just based on the trailer alone, this is already the best film of all time or the best film of the year. Right. There's no way it's going to live up to expectations. It doesn't matter if it is actually a good film; it will never live up to the expectations. That's it's kind of got the the Phantom Menace concept going. Phantom Menace failed partially because it's a terrible movie and partially because let's face it the hype was so big nothing George Lucas could have done would have ever lived up to the hype for Phantom Menace would it have and Phantom Menace still made a boatload of money well, then the thing i didn't understand and the simpsons did parody this perfectly when comic book guy first saw it he goes this movie was terrible i'm only going to see it three more times that was the problem with the Star Wars fans. They hated it, and then they went back the next night to go, ah, maybe it was just opening night jitters. You know, let, let's see if I like it better this time. No, not really. Well, we'll go back in a week and see if I like it. Because people wanted to like this movie so much that they kept going to see it. It's like George Lucas put Wackets in there. For those of you that don't get it, Wackets is a reference to the Max Headroom TV show. Well, here's a, here's a topic we can all discuss. What's a movie that you really, you really wanted to like? You really, truly wanted to like it, but Watchmen. See, I liked Watchmen, so I disagree with you on that. But a movie I really wanted to like but didn't. There's, there's quite a few of those. There's, there's a whole bunch I went into going, yeah. The Hangover is per- a perfect example. Brad and I've already talked about it, but everyone told me this film was great, and personally, I thought the trailer. While not great, it looked like, okay, there are potential for humorous situations here. And I just sat stone-faced throughout the whole movie going, that wasn't funny. That wasn't funny. I'm looking at my son going, why are you laughing? That's not funny. So I really, uh, another perfect example would be Scream. After everything I heard about Scream, I wanted to go in liking that so much. And I walked out going, did I just see the Amos and Andy of horror movies unfold in front of me? (laughs) because <laughs> that's basically really, what it was I really wanted to like MacGruber but unfortunately it was horrible I'm going to call you stupid for even thinking that would have been a good movie that had disaster <laughs> written all over it man and Jonah Hex as well <laughs> I wanted to like Jonah Hex see I still haven't seen Jonah Hex but I liked the comics so I'm, a, I'm afraid after everything I've heard about Jonah Hex to actually see it I'm afraid to be disappointed because I've always liked the comic character. It's not it's not a bad movie per se, but it it was it could have been far better. See, th- that's what people keep saying about Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance. They keep saying it's not bad, and it's better than the first film, but it's not the film it could have been. That's what I keep hearing. Like like s- somehow something happened that 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 screwed that film over for people. I don't get it. Come on, Ghost Rider pees fire in this one. How, how, how could you miss out on that? Yeah, because I'm not 12. I don't find I don't find monsters peeing funny. I was being sarcastic, was... really, but I know that I was. Movie too. That was... <laughs> Go ahead, Alex. 
movie that was really toxic to me going to just be awesome that ended up not being was Hostel. See, okay, here's the thing with me and Hostel. I didn't see Hostel till after Hostel 2 was out, and I watched both of them back to back. I really don't know if I would have had a different opinion of Hostel. Maybe I would have liked it. I doubt it, but if maybe I would have liked it if I saw it when it first came out. Seeing them both back to back just to me strengthens how weak of movies they really are. Ah, the uh, the Grindhouse double feature that came out a couple of years ago. Well, the Death Proof part was disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. But Planet Terror and all the trailers were great. So to me, that one did kind of live up to the hype, and I really wanted to like it, and I liked three quarters of it. I liked everything except Death Proof. I was actually really disappointed by Cloverfield. Oh yeah, it was all hyped up, and I actually had—I really, really wanted to see it. And me and my friends went and see it, and it just didn't really live up to the hype. The only—the only interesting part was there was this freaky coincidence afterwards, where we crossed the state line into darkness because the power had gone out halfway through the movie uh, in. Ohio, so that was like the most interesting part of the night, unfortunately. Well, on the other side of the coin, then what's a movie that you guys really went into going, I'm not going to like this, and you walked out going, that was a damn good movie. Shakes the Clown. Yeah, you okay? <laughs> yeah, you, you just told me about that one. Recently, what comes to mind is Chronicle. Not that I walked out saying this was a great movie, just this was better than I expected it to be. That's what Brad said, too, but I still don't want to see it. I worked, I walked into the first Pink Panther movie expecting the worst, and it really wasn't all that bad. Are you talking the Steve um, Martin Pink Panther? Yeah, the Steve Martin one. The second one was horrible. I'm not going to even lie about that. The second one was just terrible, but the first one wasn't that bad. See, if we're talking theatrical, I don't go to movies I expect to not like normally. So the- theatrically, I-, I can't really speak of one of those, but there's been many that uh, I've seen on video, way too many to mention on video and on cable that were, yeah, this movie's all right, you know, it looks okay, and then you go in going, that was way better than it had any right to be. Oh, okay, a perfect example, Jason X. There is absolutely no reason that movie should have been as good as it was. I love Jason X. Me too. But you tell me, hearing the concept of Jason in space, and he's like 400 years in the future and battling on a spaceship, and he's uh, he gets turned into a, uh, a cyborg Jason, you tell me that doesn't ring with, okay, this has got disaster written all over it. And then you walk out going, they handled all that really, really cleverly. Well, I actually have a story about that movie. I actually saw it in theaters. And the scene where Jason deep freezes that girl's face, and then he smashes it against the counter... And everybody in the theater went, yeah. See, I didn't see that one in the theater. I saw that on a bootleg four months before it hit theaters. So I, I, I saw that one on a bootleg VHS back then still. Wasn't even a recordable DVD. I think I still have my my Jason X work print bootleg lying around somewhere. But you want to talk theatrical uh, of people being nuts? I went and saw Star Trek Six in the theater with a bunch of Trekkies. Oh, gosh. Do any of you guys remember how Star Trek VI opens? It opens with the Klingon moon Quonos exploding. It's a mining moon. And then Sulu's ship comes to the rescue. The movie opens, you know, they've done the credits. And I'm in there with Trekkies, and Trekkies are normally, at least around my area, pretty well-behaved in a Star Trek movie. 
Kronos explodes and you see a bunch of Klingons in despair. This guy jumps up and goes, kick some Klingon ass! And I, and I just start going, oh my god. It's like... Sit down, virgin. <laughs> yes, it's like, just please, <laughs> stop talking. It's like, just stop <laughs> s- stop talking, please. Just please. Or if you watch any any horror film at a midnight screening, there's always really squeamish girls screaming the whole time at everything. And I'm like, this is not scary. What, are you being raped back there? Because that's the only reason I could see you screaming this loud. What year did Child's Play 3 come out? The the one at the uh, military academy. I think it's 91. Yeah, the early. I remember I was in high school when I saw that. And sorry, I do have to say, I only saw that because there was nothing else playing that weekend. Otherwise, even I wasn't looking forward to Child's Play 3, for God's sake. But, so I'm like, I'm like 15. I, I, I know I walked to the theater, so I doubt I was old enough to drive yet. And behind me are two older girls, either late high school or early college. And every time anything happened, they, ah, 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 ah! And I turned around to them and I'm like, Will you shut the f*** up? I'm a little kid, and I'm fine with this. It's like, why do you go to a horror movie if everything makes you go, ha, 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 ha? Did that little kid tell us to shut up? Yes. <laughs> and it was like, you girls are so goddamn annoying. I don't even know how we got on weird theatrical experiences, but still. Well, when I went to see Gods and Generals, Proud didn't realize there was going to be an intermission. So, like, the movie was on for, like, two freaking hours, and then the screen went white. Did they walk out? (laughs) So the words intermission (laughs) popped up. And then this guy in the back stood up and went, Oh, forget this. We know who won the war. And he walked out. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually really funny, though. That movie was so boringly awful. When I saw Titanic, that had an intermission in it. I, I, I do know that Grindhouse, speaking of Grindhouse... That had people walk out after Planet Terror. They didn't realize it was a double feature. Theaters across the country said people would would go to Planet Terror. They'd sit through the trailers, and then when like the you know like the the commercial for the food came up, people would leave, <laughs> not realizing. Guys, you do know there's a whole nother movie coming, right? Or, or or maybe they went, oh, it's a Tarantino movie. Get the hell out of here fast. It's gonna be all. It's gonna be all dialogue and pretentious direction. Pulp Fiction too. I'm out of here. But yeah, so Grindhouse had that problem. They actually had to uh, start telling people when they bought their tickets after the second or third week it was open that there's two films. Don't leave after Planet Terror, which also kind of speaks to the stupidity of the American film going audience. Usually, I don't leave a movie until the lights have come back on. To me, it varies if the if if it's packed. I know I'm never getting out of the parking lot. So as soon as the credits come up, it's like, we got to get to the car now kind of thing. Or we're going to be sitting here for another 30 minutes waiting for all the drunken dumbasses who smuggled booze in their popcorn containers to try and get out of the parking lot. Wow, life sounds crazy there in Sturgeon Bay. Hey, when I worked at, <laughs> when I worked at the movie theater, I saw many people smuggle in booze. They, they'll bring it in a little flask, and then you can see them pouring something into their, their Pepsi. People apparently need booze to watch 8 Mile. Not that I blame them for that particular film, but people need booze. <laughs> I had if people. I'm gonna, if I'm going to get through Waterworld, I'm going to need some booze. 
I had people when oh, I God, wor- you need more than booze. When I worked there, I had people that tried to smoke during the movie. They'd be all sneaky, take a couple of puffs, and then quick to uh, use their finger to knock out the cherry. Then you could see them light it again and take a couple more puffs. And it was just a regular cigarette. But it's like, really? You can't go 90 minutes without needing a smoke? I've seen that at older theaters where they actually still have ashtrays in the theater, in the seats. And somebody was caught doing that, and they were being kicked out. And he's like, well, if you're not going to let me smoke, why do you have ashtrays? I got confront I got confronted by a guy when when I I tried to say, look, I know I know you're smoking. And he was the only person in the theater, so I came up to him during the movie and I'm like, "Look, I know you're smoking. I can see the cigarette smoke coming cuz he was sitting in the middle." So I'm like, "I can see the smoke coming up in front of the camera, you know, from the lights of the camera." I'm like, "I can see the cherry and and I can smell it. I ain't smoking." I'm like, oh, really? What he'd done is he threw it into his soda and then put the cap back on. I'm like, really? If I open that soda, there's not going to be a cigarette butt in there? I'm like, do I have to kick you out? He's like, dude, 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 you don't have to do anything rash. What was I going to do? It's not like it's an offense. It's not like I can call the cops or anything. All I I had was my man. He was the only one there. Yeah. And it's like, I saw you smoke. I saw you put it into your soda. What's your goddamn problem? But, I mean, it's even worse when you have people that, and I'm sure, Dane, you get this probably more than Alex or Michael do since you're in New York, and, you know, New York is the center of stupidity of the world, apparently. We, I had somebody come in with a huge cat-in-the-hat, giant top hat on, and he would not take it off. I, Why do I've you go to, to a, I've been to theaters where people smuggle KFC buckets of chicken and, and all People are crazy what they do in New York, what they want to smuggle into theaters. But why? I don't get what the point is. If you're going to smuggle something in, make it a high-end video camera so you can bootleg the damn thing later, not chicken. I'll smuggle in my own soda when I watch a movie because it's easier to pay a buck fifty for a bottle of Mountain Dew than $3 for one at the theater. But that's about it. Well, see, not so much theater, but like when I saw the Misfits, they were playing at a small club back in 98 here in Green Bay, and they outright said, no cameras, no cameras, and they were checking everybody for cameras. So I put my camera in my wife's purse. They never even looked through her purse. So I can only imagine all the cameras that got smuggled in were just with the women. The women were able to smuggle the cameras in just fine. Guys, don't you dare try. Yeah, so it's like, it's like you know, here, put this in your purse. Okay. And then she's like, what, what do we do if they check it? And I'm like, you know, I already saw them just letting women in without checking them. I'm like, they won't. They won't. And she just goes right through. I don't understand the anti-smuggling things sometimes on, on, on like clubs and movie theaters. Because I, I remember when I worked at the movie theater, we were always supposed to make sure no, you know, outside food came in. Do you know how awkward it is when you suspect somebody is trying to smuggle in something, but, you know, without taking them, make, forcing them to take their jacket off, you don't know it? You know how awkward of a conversation that would be? Sir, please open your jacket. I am smelling fried chicken. <laughs> that would be an incredibly awkward situation. And it's like, I'm not doing it. I don't I don't care. Just let him eat the stupid crap. I don't care. Did you have to have a deal with theater hoppers, like people who are hopping from theater to from movie to movie? Not when I worked there, but when I saw Hannibal, that was what, ninety six? That Hannibal came out? Something like that. Well, when I saw Hannibal, 
we watched the entire fish market shootout. Then all of a sudden the movie stopped and the lights came up and we were like, what the hell? The film break or what's going on? And then an usher. My theaters did not have ushers. Two employees come down with flashlights and they grab this like 10-year-old kid and they drag him out. Turned out I asked and then they start the movie up. I asked afterwards, apparently he paid for some kids' film and snuck into Hannibal because they wouldn't sell him a ticket to that. So they didn't have to make a federal case out of it. Uh, you no, know, it was it was something like uh, his mom was in the lobby. So oh. I'm sure mom was riding the employee's asses to get, you know, little Billy back out here. She did not want him seeing Hannibal. Well, the multiplex in my town, they used to have a problem with theater hoppers, especially for any big release that would end up being sold out. They would end up with ushers at the actual, because they would rip off your ticket before you enter where all the theaters are. But in front of that actual theater, there was another usher to check your stub. I mean, just doesn't that seem kind of like overkill? Who cares? Don't all movies have the same price? Doesn't it cost the same to see one-hour photo than it does to see Red Dragon? So who cares if you buy a ticket for Red Dragon and you go into one-hour photo? And I'm using that as an example because those two movies were running side-by-side when I was there. Or what I did once is I bought a ticket to Summer of Sam, watched all of Summer of Sam, and then just walked into the theater for Big Daddy afterwards and watched all of that. I'm sorry. For, on, on both <laughs> on both counts. I was going to say, yeah, you're a glutton for punishment. <laughs> but, I mean, th- they kind of did that back before my theater was a multiplex and it was a locally owned theater. Uh, I don't remember what m- – my mom took me to the movie. I, you know, I'm 10, 12 years old. She she went to go see whatever the new James Bond movie was at that point, and I went to go see some sci-fi flick. Well, her movie was like 40 minutes longer than mine. So when my movie got out, you know, I'm just wandering around the parking lot and they or in the lobby, and they asked me what I was doing. I said, my mom's in whatever this James Bond movie is. And they're like, oh, j- just go ahead. You, you, if you know where she's sitting, you just go in and sit by her. So I got to see the last 45 minutes of the movie for free. They didn't care. It was a locally owned nice. theater. They were nice people. They're like, well, we know you already paid for this movie and you already saw it. We saw you and your mom come in together. Just go watch the rest of the James Bond flick with her. Moonmaker. No. How old do you think I am? Good God, man. How old do you think I am? Jesus. Casino Royale. This is like a (laughs) Timothy Dalton era James Bond movie, you (laughs) f***. A view to a kill. It might have been like Living Daylights, maybe. I don't know. And like I said, I'm sorry if tonight's episode sucks. Look who my co-hosts are. So, hey. where can we where can we find Michael? Uh, at the bottom of the well, apparently. No, uh, metalcast.com. Uh, and our 200th episode once again is March 13th. What about Forgoni? Where can we find Forgoni? Same place you can find <laughs> Michael Riley. What about Jowski? What about Jowski? Where do we find Jowski? Geekjuicemedia.com. And you can find my column, Sanity is Razor Thin, at geekjuicemedia.com, as well as my old, it came from me on Midnight's, and some new ones, if I ever get around to sending Alex the raw footage for him to edit. Precisely. <laughs> so, I'm going to say goodnight, and I'm going to say you three have been awful, awful hosts. Oh, well, thanks.
Let's get out. 